In your Bibles, Psalms 86. Let's go ahead and stand for the reading of the Word of God. Psalm chapter 86. We don't strategize this stuff. It's pretty interesting the way the Holy Spirit um, kind of sets things up when out, without us getting together a program and a video and presentation and, you know, this this month's series and all that stuff. But the Lord just gave him a song that I think is a good song to set us up for the message this morning. So I like when I see the Lord in it like that. Psalm 86, verse 1, Bow down thine ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am holy. O thou, my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Brothers Rake, would you ask God to bless the preaching this morning, please? Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Personally, I got a lot of help from this chapter in Psalm 86 on the subject I want to talk to you on this morning. I think we can learn a lot from this psalm on reasons to pray. I know that doesn't sound like the most inspirational message in the world for a Sunday morning, but if you'll stay with me, I think that there's a lot in here that we can benefit from. Let's be honest, of all the spiritual disciplines that there is, there is no question in my mind personally, and I, I think for most people I've talked to that they'll concur with this, the most difficult spiritual discipline of all of them is prayer. I have a much easier time reading my Bible for an hour or two. Literally, to sit down and read my Bible for an hour or two is easier to me than to pray for 10 or 15 minutes. Believe it or not, a lot of people struggle with this, and some of it has to do with personality type, but I would say it's pretty safe to say, if you just sort of generalize it, that most people would have a little bit of an easier time handing a gospel tract to somebody and inviting them to church or saying, hey, has anybody ever showed you from the Bible what it means to be saved? I mean, most of us would find that that becomes an easier habit to get into, speaking up for the Lord, being a witness. A little bit easier to do than to spend some time... In prayer. I think coming to church 
I know a lot of people nowadays, that seems to be a struggle and not for you, I know, but a lot of people just have a hard time making it to church. It's like every other priority in the world seems to come up and block them getting to church. But once you're serious about the Lord and you really want to grow in Jesus Christ and you love God and the things of God actually mean something to you, coming to church becomes easier, definitely, as a spiritual discipline than spending 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 or an hour in prayer. Prayer is a very difficult spiritual discipline. I think giving for a lot of people, you know, most people probably, from what I can tell of this church, as I don't look and I'm not planning on it, but from what I can tell, I think most people have an easier time giving. I mean, it's easier just sometimes to write a check and forget it's gone, there you go, and that's out of the checkbook and we're good to go, let's move on, than to actually spend some time on our knees in prayer. But you and I really, I'm telling you, we really need to realize the importance of prayer. I think the reason that we get so much pushback on the spiritual discipline of prayer is because it must be very, very effective. There is some kind of resistance to it that transcends the average and normal resistance. I get resistance to my Bible reading. I promise you I do. It seems like, you know, I get focused, I'm ready to go, my mind's right, my heart's right. I really am drilled in here and I'm ready to read my Bible and distractions come up. The phone rings. Uh, uh, you know, there's always something that starts going on. There's always distraction. I get pushback on that. I get pushback on giving, don't you? Come on, be honest. <laughs> Every once in a while, it's like, eh, okay. I get pushback on going to church, believe it or not. I, I, I don't call in sick. If you haven't noticed, I don't call in sick. I mean, I, if I call in sick, you need to stop and pray for me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, this is really a very serious situation. <laughs> I, I don't call in sick. I, but I get pushback on coming to church. I, honestly, I don't always feel like it. Is that terrible to say? I mean, I, I love you, I'm glad I'm here, praise the Lord, but I, I don't always feel like it. I definitely get pushed back on witnessing. I find that fear of rejection is in me just like it's in everybody else, and, and there's pushback on it. But man, there is nothing, nothing that I get the pushback on that's even similar to the pushback on prayer. This thing transcends whatever the normal pushback is. If you look at Jesus Christ's life, do you notice how much he's focused on prayer? Isn't that wild? If you study your Bible, if you study church history and people that God used, what you're going to find out is they were actually people of prayer. But I think we live in a day and age where more than likely, and I hate to just pass this kind of like huge judgment on everybody, but to be honest with you, I'm pretty sure we're probably in a day and age where somehow or another, and I got a million different reasons why I could lay it out for you that I'm not going to get into as we don't have the time this morning, but I think that there has been a really uh, a, a major and subtle and divisive, like nasty, demonic thing that has gone on to cause us to have more trouble praying today than ever before. I literally think our brains and our attention spans have been rewired by a lot of things that actually is quite demonic to keep us from actually getting a hold of God in prayer. You and I need to learn to pray. The disciples did not come to Jesus and say, Jesus, teach us to preach. The disciples didn't come to Jesus and say, Jesus, teach us to give. 
The disciples didn't come to Jesus and say, Jesus, teach us to have the wisdom to win souls. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. They saw something in Jesus Christ and in his prayer life. They said, Lord, we can't figure out how to do that. You've got to show us how to do that. Now, here's the hard part about it. Anybody here will say, I know how to pray. (laughs) Okay, thank you. Because if you did... um, I doubt your sincerity. In all honesty, prayer is a tough thing. Do you ever sit back after you prayed and start analyzing yourself and go, was I even asking for the right things? I'll tell you the truth, and I won't get too far into this kind of detail because it's personal. Some things ought to always stay personal, but sometimes I ask God, like, am I okay to be asking you this? Am I okay to be this way? But when I came to Psalm chapter 86, something just popped for me. Because all of a sudden I saw prayer from a kind of a little bit of a different perspective. So what I want you to do this morning, if you can, okay, is I want you to kind of like take a deep breath and relax for a second. I I really mean that. No matter how you see me preach, okay, because I'm not going to relax. I never look like I'm relaxing, but I can actually be like, this to me is therapeutic. You understand? This is what I love to do. And I get passionate about what I'm saying. But this morning, I do not plan to put any kind of pressure on anybody that you ought to be praying more. And if you're not praying, you're a deadbeat and all the rest of that stuff. That is not the angle that I want to take this morning. The angle I want to take this morning is to show you from this psalm some reasons that you and I should learn to pray. I think if we can see some reasons to pray, I think that'll have a way of sort of fueling us a little bit to say, okay, now that makes a lot of sense and I I want to do that. Look at verse number one. Look what the psalmist says right out of the gate as he begins talking about talking to God. He says, bow down thine ear, O Lord, hear me. For I am poor and needy. Look at verse number two. Preserve my soul for I am holy. O thou my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. Folks, one of the reasons, one of the first reasons you and I need to learn to pray is because we need preservation from God. Now, I'm going to need you to give me a minute, okay, to, to kind of teach you some things. And if you're okay with this, we're going to turn to a couple of passages this morning. And I, I don't do a lot of that on Sunday morning, but listen, it's okay. If you struggle finding the books, just go ahead and struggle. It helps you with time get more familiar with your Bible, okay? Don't feel bad about it. Do what you can to keep up with us. If you can't, just listen. But we got to turn to some of these references and understand a couple of things. And I'm going to make this application doctrinally to you and I. So we're going to spend a couple minutes on this first point. The other points will go quicker if I can lay this first point out well and explain to you some things that we need to understand on the doctrine of this and how this applies to us spiritually. Let me say you need and I need preservation from God. We need his help. And the preservation in verse number two is bodily preservation. Now, I'm going to circle back on that. We're going to make a spiritual application in a minute. But what I want you to understand is this. You need preservation because of the flesh that you're in. Now, I'm not trying to tell you that we're praying for God to not have cancer hit and not have health problems come. I pray daily for the safety of my family, the physical bodily safety of my family. That's all good. You should pray for that. But I know people that are good people that have bereavement hits them in a sinful world. 
Does that mean God was unjust and unfair and unkind? Or is it life in a sinful world? Does God maybe not answer our prayers sometimes because he sees and knows things that we don't know? Sometimes God takes somebody out of the equation and brings them home to heaven because God sees what was going to happen to them down the road. And from our perspective, it's like, how could you? But from God's perspective, if we could know him and understand him, he was doing something great and wonderful that we would never accuse him of of foul play. But from a human perspective, it's tough. I pray daily, literally daily for the safety of my family. You know, you've heard my stories, and I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but it's important to me, man. Brother, Brother Biano was, uh, and his family were staying at our house a couple weeks ago, as most of you know, and he got up early one morning to run out to a store, and he was going to do some stuff, and, and he, he left his phone in the house. And once he left the door, see, we got a particular kind of locks on the door. It locks behind you. I don't have to worry about, did you lock the doors, right? He went out the door that locks behind him, and he realized he left his phone in the house. It was very early in the morning. And he was like, he's locked out <laughs> of my house. And he didn't have a phone to call or anything. He didn't want to beat on the doors and wake everybody up, so he just went and did his running around and came back later and was hoping somebody was up to let him in. He's like, I forgot you got this place locked down like a fortress. <laughs> Why? Because I'm, I'm weird about keeping my family safe. I was sitting there talking to Brother Drake before service, and my daughter's out there, and my 13-year-old's out there swinging a baby, and, and there's a grown man over there by the playset like this talking to my daughter. And I'm sorry, but I stopped listening to what he was saying. I kept leaning over until he finally noticed me leaning over. Y'all almost had a funeral. I realized that he's, oh, he's 13. It's okay. This big old monster sitting up here is talking to my 13-year-old daughter. I almost shot the poor kid. Keep that in mind, amen. When you're not 13 anymore. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? I, I'm not saying you shouldn't pray for physical safety or ask God for that. But I will tell you that you can't be guaranteed of that stuff in this lifetime. I will tell you this much, that there are some things that are more important Hear me. Hear me, please. There are some things in life that are more important than your physical safety. It's your spiritual safety. What you need this morning is preservation from God. Now look at verse number 2, and here's something that you're not going to pray if you're born again. He says, preserve my soul, for I am holy. Now wait a second. Anybody in the room be like, yeah, I'm holy, and based on my holiness, I'm asking God to preserve my soul. Why would he ask that in the Old Testament? Because there's a different doctrine here than the doctrine you and I have. You've got to understand that. Go with me to some passages, if you would. I want you to go over to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. You're all right. It's all my fault. I got her laughing. Look at Genesis chapter 12, if you would please. Look at verse 13. In the Old Testament, what you and I need to understand this morning is in the Old Testament, he could say soul, and that would refer to his body. Now, I'm going to teach you why. 
Genesis 12, 13, Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. Now, now Abraham here, is, is, is he trying to like tell his wife to save his soul because if they kill him to take her, he's going to go to hell? Well, of course not. You see, in the Old Testament, their soul and their body was one. That's why under the Old Testament law, when somebody who was trying to do right and serve God, if they touched something unclean, they were entirely defiled inside and out. That's why there's passages over there that tell you if a man turn from his righteousness and die, he'll die in his sin. Well, we've told you before, and we'll get to this in a minute, but if you turn from your righteousness as a born-again Christian, you don't die in your sin. You realize you could physically die because of your sin. But your soul will not go to hell. You don't die in your sin. You've got to understand that difference. Back here, the soul could be referred to as the body. They were one because his soul was attached to his body in the Old Testament. Notice another passage. Let's keep going. Look at Genesis chapter number 35. Genesis chapter 35 and look at verse 18. So what you need to understand is while they were attached and his soul would become defiled, it also was still a separate part of the triunity of mankind, a body, soul, and spirit. Genesis 35, 18, And it came to pass as her soul was in departing, for she died. See what happened? The soul left the body when she died. So she dies and her soul departs. So you can't say that they were a dichotomy. That reference to soul, when he said, my soul, man became a living soul. They were a unit. Now, this is interesting because it has implication on you and I, but look at another passage first. Look at Genesis chapter 32. I find this very interesting. Genesis chapter 32, most all of you know this story. We'll start in verse number 24. Jacob had fled from Esau after all the shenanigans he pulled and spent all that time over there and got the wife and got all the wealth, the wives, excuse me, and all the wealth and all the rest of that. And he's coming back to meet his brother Esau and he's afraid because he's afraid Esau is going to wipe him out. And God shows up and wrestles with him here. The angel shows up and wrestles with him in verse 24 and Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob, which means supplanter. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince thou hast power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God, now watch this, face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Peniel, the sun arose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hallow of the thigh unto this day, because he touched the hallow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. Notice what he says in this verse. He said, for I have seen, verse 30, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. 
He was talking about his physical life. He was saying, I saw God face to face. I I didn't realize, and he didn't kill me. What a God. What a good thing. Listen, you've seen the Lord, haven't you? Not physically like this, but you've dealt with God face to face, haven't you? Your response is, man, man, I'm glad he didn't kill me. That's a scary thought back there in that Old Testament when he's recognizing the level of sinfulness that he has and that he saw God face to face and God preserved his life. You're dealing with a whole different thing back here in this time frame. David said, take not thy Holy Spirit from me after his sin with Bathsheba. He was afraid God was going to take the Holy Spirit of God away from him and he was going to die in his sin. He said, thou hast delivered me from hell. He knew he deserved it. He didn't just deserve to die physically. He deserved to die and go to hell for his sin and he got a special dispensation of the grace of God in a time that God was not allowing that kind of thing back then. There was a judgment passed on that and God was merciful to David. Whole different deal back here. Now let me show you something if you would as it pertains to you and I. Go to the book of Colossians chapter number 2. Colossians chapter number 2. So in the Old Testament they're under the law, right? And under the law, they had to live a holy life. He says, preserve me for I am holy. He's saying, God, I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to do in order to have you preserve me. I'm living like I'm supposed to live. I'm abiding by the law. When I mess up, I'm making the sacrifices. I am doing everything you tell me to do, and I'm asking you to preserve me, to preserve my life. He's talking about bodily preservation because he had a host of enemies after him. Listen. David's entire life, he always had enemies. Did you not notice? I mean, as you get to the end of his life, he's running for his life and vacating his own throne, and God puts him back on the throne. This man constantly, he's facing another giant as an old man, almost gets killed by that giant, and has to be helped out and succored by one of his men to get him through that thing. They said, you're not going out with us anymore. You're getting too old for this stuff. He was still facing enemies as an old man. And he needed the preservation of God and he knew it and he's praying for it here in this psalm. So remembering what we talked about already that their soul was knit with their body. If the Bible said, the law said not to touch this thing and he touched it, he was entirely defiled. It wasn't just his flesh that was defiled, his soul just got defiled. Because what they had in the Old Testament was a physical circumcision that was a picture and a shadow of something coming, but it wasn't the real thing. you got to understand that. So when they would touch something wrong, they would be defiled, and if they didn't get in there and make those offerings and those sacrifices and get that stuff right with God, and they died in their sin, you could lose salvation. That's a sk- So he said, God, preserve my soul. Help me out. Now, how does this apply to you and I? Well, thank God in some ways it doesn't, but in other ways it will. Now watch why it doesn't in regards to your eternal soul. Colossians chapter 2, start reading with me in verse number 6. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. How did you receive Him? By grace through faith, right? You put your faith and trust when you heard the truth of the gospel. You heard what the Bible said about your soul. You realized Christ died on the cross of Calvary for you. And there was nothing you could do to earn your way to heaven. He did everything that needed to be done to wash away your sin. 
and you realize that you trusted him as your savior, you were born again. How did you receive him? By faith. So how do you walk in him? As you received him, so walk ye in him. You walk in him by faith. Watch this. Rooted. You got to put your roots down. You got to get somewhere where there's fertile soil and stay put a while. Rooted and built up. You don't build it up until you put the foundation down. How? In Him. And established in the faith. So, how do you become established in the faith? As you have been taught. You got to be taught. You see the process? See how simple this stuff is? So in other words, the way I received him is the way I walk in him. And in order to walk in him, I got to have roots that go down. And when the roots go down, because I stay put where I'm supposed to be, then he builds me up. And I get established in the faith, whereas, you know, uh, I didn't get it all before, but wow, I actually know more Bible now, and I'm actually able to witness now, and I'm actually enjoying reading my Bible and understanding what I'm reading more and more, and I'm actually able to teach somebody else, and I'm actually seeing that my prayer life is becoming effective, and God's answering prayers, getting established in the faith as ye have been taught. Oh, so there's our purpose for being here this morning, to get us rooted and built up, to continue in him to get to know him better, to get established, to grow, to learn. It's not rocket science what church is all about. Folks, it ain't about your friendships. I think you should have great friendships here. Oh, nobody's nice to me there. Well, are you learning Bible? Because the purpose of church is Bible. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. I've got a lot of things that I've come to conclude about people that that's their attitude. Nobody's my friend. Nobody talks to me. I, but I'm, it's another message for another day. As ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Now watch it. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy. Too many philosophical preachers today. And vain deceit. After the tradition of men. Know any churches built on tradition? Apostolic succession. After the rudiments of the world. There's one of your enemies. And not after Christ. For in him, in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Your completion is in Jesus Christ. In Christ alone. Man, our our theme, what's our theme? What do we stand for? We stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't know him as your Savior, you need to get saved. If you're saved, you need to draw closer to him. It is about your personal walk with Jesus Christ. Why are you King James Bible? We're King James Bible because the devil has come in and tried to corrupt and pollute the scriptures to keep people from knowing their doctrine and knowing their Savior. We believe and love the King James Bible because of the Lord Jesus Christ because it draws us closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. We know we got the right one because we got the right word. You got to know your Bible. Complete in him. Not complete in anything else. Listen, you're not complete in your spouse. You're not supposed to be. You're supposed to be complete in Jesus Christ. You're not complete in your children. You're supposed to be complete in Jesus Christ. You're not complete in your career path. 
You're supposed to be complete in Jesus Christ. You're not complete in your ministry. You're supposed to be complete in Jesus Christ. You're complete in Him. It is all about Him. You need help. God preserving you from getting walking away from Him and having something come between you and God. Amen. There's always stuff to come between you and God. Verse 11, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, not a human circumcision, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, you're looking at it. Don't start man-worshiping people. The best you see is somebody, the best you see, I don't care what kind of great guru you look up to, if he's really, truly a man of God, the best you see is, is it's, it's human and it's sinful. It's nothing but flesh. It's a body that God has to preserve me from because the flesh will get you in trouble every cotton-picking time. Yeah. Oh, he's a good man. That means he's crucified what you're looking at. And he's following something else that ain't what you see. All this man worship stuff makes me nauseated. It's disgusting. I don't care how smart somebody is. Oh, he's so smart. So what? It's not about him. It's about God. And putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation. It's a surgery of God. Who hath raised him, Jesus Christ, from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. You see that? That is not talking about Old Testament physical circumcision. That's talking about before you were saved, your soul is still attached to your body. Before you were saved, when you sin, the sins you commit defiled all of your entirety. You were lost. You were dead in trespasses and sins. Every time you lied, every time you had a, a thought that you shouldn't have, envy, lust, anything that you did that displeased God, defiled everything that you were, entirely sinful, sold under sin, deserving a hell before Almighty God. That's before you were saved. Yes. But the moment you got saved, what you didn't know happened. And the Bible makes it very clear as God went in there and a circumcision took place inside of you that cut your soul away from the flesh that you're still living in. Ain't that a trip? How can a preacher say that somebody can smoke a crack rock and in the middle of smoking a crack rock drop over dead and if they were born again they go to heaven? That's how. A preacher doesn't say that. The Bible says it. Jesus asked him in the garden when he was praying, by the way, John 17, the real Lord's Prayer, not the model prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us. That's the model prayer. He didn't say this is what you have to pray in vain repetitions to correct himself. They said, Lord, teach us to pray, and he gave him a model. The real Lord's Prayer is John 17 when he was praying in the garden before he went to a cross, and he said, Father, keep them. Keep them, keep them, keep them. You got eternal security because God came up with something based on the prayer that his son asked. He said, I'll answer that prayer. And he gave you eternal security because when he was about to shed his blood and take your sin and descend to your hell and rise again the third day, he was going to, to unbelievable lengths to save your soul and wash away your sin. He said, God, I want them. Once I get them, I want to keep them. You know why? 
because he knows what it feels like to be in flesh. He understands that you're poor and needy. He sees your weakness. And he prayed for you so that you could stay preserved and spiritually you are if you're saved. Notice what he did. We're almost done with this passage. Being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, verse 13, if he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, all trespasses, past, present, and future, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. That's your Old Testament, which was contrary to us. It always told you how bad you were and took it out of the way. It's not even in the picture anymore once you're saved. Nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. What a God. Now go back to Romans chapter 7 and let me show you why we ought to be praying for preservation. So when I say you and I ought to pray that God preserves us bodily, I ain't talking about my eternal soul. You don't have to pray for God to keep you because you're afraid that if you sin, you're going to wind up going to hell. Romans chapter number 7, watch this. This is a wild one. Look at verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual. You can say amen to that. But I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. You ever do things you know you shouldn't do? That's what he just said. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. You ever say, I'm going to pray more and don't do it? I'm going to take some tracts and I'm going to pass them out to my friend that the Lord's got on my heart and you don't do it. I'm going to go to church and you don't do it. I'm going to give and you don't do it. I'm going to quit this and start that and you don't do it. Well, welcome to the club. Because you ever beat yourself up over it and start getting discouraged? Start thinking, man, how long am I going to keep struggling with this? I must be a hypocrite. I might as well quit. And the devil's saying, yeah, you're right, you are. Look how sinful you are. You said you'd never do it again. You've asked God to forgive you for this a thousand times, and you keep doing it. You must not be serious. And you're honest about yourself. You're like, yeah, I must not be serious. I guess I just might as well quit asking. You see why you need to ask God to preserve you? Because that's a trick of the devil to get you focused on everything you do wrong when the greatest Christian in the New Testament said, that which I do, I allow not. I do stuff I shouldn't do and I know I shouldn't do it and I mess up. And what I would do, the things I'm supposed to, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. Don't you hate sin? I hate the fallout of sin. I hate the feeling of sin. I hate the fruit of sin. I hate everything associated with sin. I get so aggravated and frustrated sometimes in my life thinking like, what's going on? And then I realize I'm the problem. It's frustrating. Why? Because inside of me, I'm going to show you here in a second, there's a totally different man living in me. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the new birth. It's something that's not me. But what I am is a sinful man. What I am is stuck in a body of sin. What I am is dying. What I am is constantly struggling. I need to learn to pray bodily because I'm stuck in something that don't want to do right. For if I then, verse 16, do that which I allow not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it. Well, what about that? 
but sin that dwelleth in me. Now wait a second. Wait a minute. The devil's always telling you, look at you, look at you, look at you, look at you. But if you're born again, when you mess up, God said that wasn't you. That's the old man. Christian, you got two natures. You got the old man that's still in you, and you got the new man that's inside of you that's going to live eternally. And then you mess up, and the devil says, look at you, you mess up. You must not be a real Christian. God ain't listening to you. God's done with you. How many times do you think God's going to forgive you for the same thing? You keep doing it again and again and again, and you get discouraged and drugged down, and you, your prayer life is one of the first things to go. Before you know it, you start slipping on your Bible reading. Before you know it, you just stop reading your Bible. You're not praying. You're not reading your Bible. Then you stop coming to church as faithfully. You cut back a service. You cut back another service. You skip a week. You skip another week, and before you know it, you're all the way out in left field, and Satan done one. Because he can't have your soul, but he used your problems and your struggles and your failures and your weaknesses and your shortcomings. And he rode that guilt monkey on your back until he choked you out. He said, listen, it's not me that does it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Now it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Verse 18, for I know that in me, and then he clarifies, that is in my flesh. Do you see how he recognizes there's two hymns? There's him, and then he says, wait a second, understand the me I'm talking about. That is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Really, man? That's harsh. Well, that's what the Bible says. You ever stop and think, I have nothing, absolutely nothing to offer God? Where are you getting this stuff like you got to serve, you got to get involved, you got to, you got to, you got to, you got to stop a second, man. Whoa, wait a minute. There, I can't do anything for him. He is God. And there's nothing good in me. I don't like Mike Reagan. You know, I'm like you. People don't like you. They criticize you and stuff. It bothers me. But then I got to step back and say, wait a second, he's probably right. The guy don't like me or the guy or the girl, girl's criticizing me and you know what, they're... They're probably right. I probably am a real idiot. I'm, I'm not really that special. I, I'm a sinful man. I need preservation from God. He says, no good thing, uh, in me dwelleth no good thing, for the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. I'm going to start praying more. Yeah, see how long that lasts. But the evil which I would, not that I do. I'm not doing that again. There I go. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Do you see that? It, oh, I'm so guilty. No, wait a minute. It's this flesh that did that. It's this sinful flesh. It's the fact that I'm listening to the wrong voice. It's the fact that I follow the wrong side of me. But that's not me. Because that man is dead. And the new man inside of me is the one that's eternal. So I just listened to the wrong voice that time. I just allowed the wrong influence that time. That's not me anymore, God. That's gone, Lord. It's nailed to your cross, God. Hey, God, help me not quit because I'm still here and I'm going to live forever because in me is the Spirit of God. I ain't quitting because I messed up. I'm asking him to preserve me so I don't mess up. But when I do mess up, there's something I can do about that because he cut that thing away from the real me. 
Thank God for that. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. But I delight in the law of God after the inward man. I love the Bible, man. I love church. I love witnessing. I love preaching. I mean, I I love all of it. I I like preaching in a pulpit. I like preaching at a funeral. I like preaching on the street. I like preaching in a jail. I like preaching at a nursing home. I just love to preach. I love the Bible. I love reading my Bible. I don't always feel like it, but I love it when I get done. I love studying to get ready to preach. And I hate it. (laughs) I hate it, man. I mean, sometimes it's just like, oh, here we go again. And then I get going and the Lord starts popping this thing and stuff starts coming out. And it's too many verses. What I got to cut it down because I'm preaching way too long lately and they're going to get sick of me and quit coming. <laughs> Something in me loves it. Why I hate it. I'm a bona fide schizo. <laughs> so are you if you're saved. It's a reason to pray. Because a piece of me wants to do right, and a piece of me is always pushing back against doing right. Now watch it. But I see another law in my members. It's my body. Warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Now here it is. Watch it. Oh, I got the answer. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God and with the flesh, the law of sin. You know what he's saying? I am such a mess. I'm struggling so much. It's always present with me. It's always pushing back against everything I want to do for God. Every time I want to pray more. Every time I want to read more. Every time I want to witness. Every time I want to stop and I want to start and I want to do what God wants. It's always pushing back. How am I ever going to... Oh, wait a second. I got a Savior. Jesus Christ, my Lord. If I, just, if I, can, just, if I can just forget all this confusing stuff... If I can forget all these issues, if I can just get rid of everything that's bothering me and everything that's driving me crazy and all of the struggles, and if I could just say, hey, listen, God, thank you for being God. Help me draw closer to Jesus Christ. Help me be more like my Savior. Please walk with me. Please talk to me. Please meet with me. Please forgive me. Hey, the victory comes in that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's a reason to pray. Because I just, let's simplify it all. I just want to be closer to you. I'm not asking you to pay my bills. I'm not asking you to heal my sicknesses. You're you're God, you know if I need financial trouble. You're God, you know if I need health trouble. You're God, you know if I need disappointment. You're God, you know if I need to sit in a pew or Be something special for Jesus in the ministry. You're God. You're it. So if I'll just put you where you need to be, then you'll do with me what you want to do with me. But if I keep doing this stuff, I'm always going to be sitting here in the same spot, struggling. You need preservation from God because bodily preservation. Because you've got a lot of enemies, and one of those enemies is your flesh. And you're stuck with it, bro, until you die. Bro, sisters. Ladies and gentlemen, excuse me. 
See, I'm trying. I promise I'm trying. Be patient with me. You're stuck with it till you die. The bummer of it is this is the only shot we got at getting rewards, at doing something for him. Man, I can't wait to get to heaven. Man, it's going to be so good. Be done with this sinful, cotton-picking flesh. Never have to, was my motive right or wrong? I, I will have the mind of Christ. Made in the image of Jesus Christ. I want to just go before the throne. I wish I was one of those preachers that could sing and preach. Just, I, I'm like, can we like hit pause for like a thousand years? Nobody will even know. It'll feel like a couple seconds. I mean, we're in eternity. I would just like to sing to you. Just me and you. I mean, to worship God like, man, the little glimpses of worshiping God that I get right now are just so sweet. To actually worship him free of this? Whew, what a day that'll be, man. But I got one chance. I got one chance to show him that he's everything to me while I have a choice to make in the matter. I need him to preserve me bodily because of my enemies. That's what he says in verse number 14. If you look at it, Paul, uh, David had a lot of enemies back in Psalm 86. David had a lot of enemies. He had people chasing him, wanting to wipe him out. And I'll say this, you don't just bodily have enemies that you need preserved from, but you spiritually do as well. Spiritually speaking, you and I got a lot of enemies. Do you know this world is one of your enemies? He says in verse 14, O God, the proud are risen against me, and the assemblies of violent men have sought after my soul, and they've set, they have not set thee before them. You know this world ain't interested in Jesus Christ? Are you? <laughs> you are, aren't you? I'm interested in him. I love him. I'm shameless about it. I could care less. I like seeing a big old boy stand up there and sing to the Lord. Army vet. Sing, and I like, I like it more when they, when they, when they crack. It's one thing to shout and run. It's another thing if the Lord can break your heart. It's a blessing, ain't it? Sure it is. I love him, man. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not ashamed of loving him. You know this world don't love him? The world you live in does not love your Savior. He said, in the world you shall have tribulation. It says you cannot, friendship with the world is enmity with God. You need preservation. I'm not going to spend much time on it. I want to get to my last couple points and get you out of here. But folks, the way this thing is set up, there's going to be more and more and more and more and more and more pressure on you to be more like the world. The pressure on preachers, Bible-believing preachers today, is greater than ever. It's not just me. I've talked to multiple of them this week. The pressure on them is greater than ever. Just, just the hypersensitivity of our culture. The way like everything is wrong. Like I literally just said I'm schizo and I thought like, uh-oh, somebody's going to get offended because you were just making fun of people with mental issues. And then I was like, forget it. I'm going to say schizo. Like, I can't, I can't live like that. It's just not going to work. Do you understand? It will, will not work. I'm not being mean and hateful, but it's like the pressure is so unbelievable. Like, to say homosexuality is a sin, it's like, how can he say that? Well, you don't mind it when you say, you know, religious self-righteous people are a sin. Yeah, that's right! Homosexuality is a sin. How dare you? You perverted, messed up freak. You're willing to point the finger at everybody else 
but you think nothing of what's going on in our culture on the stuff that God calls an abomination. And now the pressure's on preachers not to talk like I just talked or people will leave and won't come back. They'll go give their tithe to the rich churches that don't need it. Well, <laughs> sorry. I want to be preserved spiritually. And we're going to call it what it is, man. The pressure's on against you to start compromising and backing off and slowing down and we can't do that. They're enemies of God. But listen, he's a friend to his enemies. So it's not me versus the world. I'm just telling you that as I follow God, the world's going to more and more be against me. I need God to preserve me. Listen, I'm not saying God preserved me from going to jail. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying God preserved me from getting shot for preaching the truth or preaching against sin. That's not what I'm saying. I hope he does. I don't want to go to jail. Don't necessarily want to get shot too young. Unless I survive it with no fallout from it, you know, later. Battle scar to show off, you know, kind of deal. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying God preserved me spiritually from allowing the world to influence me to become the kind of preacher that this generation thinks I ought to be and not the kind God wants me to be. Preserve me. I need to pray. So that I get the boldness I need to be what I'm supposed to be. And look, look. And the wisdom I need not to go so far the other direction to prove that I'm not a compromiser, that I'm an idiot, and I run people off for no good reason. There is ditches on both sides of the road, so we need to pray. I want God to preserve me bodily, but I want God to preserve me spiritually as well. Another reason to pray, i got to move, man. Look at verse 3. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. Now here's why I told you I needed to spend more, point, more time on this point because we've already laid out these other points real well for you. We set you up and looking at the verses that we did, look at him. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee how long? How often, excuse me. <laughs> you mean he said, the man after God's own heart said, God, I daily need your mercy. So where's the pressure to be the perfect Christian? Did that come from God? Did the pressure to be like, I, I can't go to church and I can't keep trying, I can't keep reading my Bible, I can't keep confessing, I can't, until I get all this stuff squared away, like, is God the one putting that? God's showing you in the Bible that the people that he loved the most, that he liked, that were after his own heart, that he blessed, that he used, that he says, he just promises to David coming in the millennium. God thought a lot of this guy. He said, I want you to see that this man knew that he needed daily mercy from God. You ought to pray because you are still stuck in that sinful flesh. You are constantly doing things that displeases God. You are always in that struggle. It's always against you. And the world's against you. And you crack under the pressure sometimes. I do too. Who doesn't? You ever act like an idiot and you really can't define why you're acting like an idiot? Why are you being such a jerk? If I'm being a jerk right now, you think I really care why I'm being a jerk right now? That ain't fixing the problem. And the Lord's like, yeah, man, you are kind of a little bit of a jerk, aren't you? What's your problem? Well, I got this and 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 this. You want to hear more? You know, what, you know what I do? I did it recently. 
I got on that, that kick of all the, the pressures, all the stuff I need fixed. And the Lord said, wow, really? Um, well, maybe not. <laughs> so what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? What a, when I started looking at all the great things that God's done for me, all the great things God is doing for me, I said, Lord, please be merciful to me for being such an unthankful jerk of a human being. Lord, none of that was your spirit. Every bit of that was Mike Reagan, and every bit of that I'm guilty of, and I'm really sorry. I almost felt like the Lord said to me, what in the world do I have to do for you to make you happy? (laughs) That's a good question, ain't it? Oh, be merciful unto me, for I cry unto thee daily. This is why you and I need to have a daily confession as part of our prayers. It's a reason to pray for the mercy of God on your life. You got, want God to give you what you deserve? I, I don't. Not when I start seeing it the way he sees it. Look at verse 5. Here's one thing I love about him. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Seriously? He's good. He's ready to forgive. And he's plenteous in mercy. You know what saved people say? Well, I've heard lost people say this too, why they can't get saved, which is the, I don't mean it, rude, but it's just the most uneducated unspiritual and ignorant thing somebody could ever say. You don't know what I've done. God can't forgive me. (laughs) That is the most scripturally ignorant thing you could say. I'm not being mean. I'm saying you have not been taught the Bible. God is plenteous in mercy and ready to forgive. In other words, man, if we gave an altar call right now, by the time your heart said, man, God, I need you to forgive me, before you got here, he's like, we're good. He'll let you go through it because you need it. But he is that ready to forgive, no matter what. Man, you see why we need to be more like him? Let me show you one more thing, and then we're just, we're just done. I'm just going to cut it off. I could preach for two more hours, literally two more hours going through this thing. I promise you. Look at verse 11. I can't. The three of you that said do it, everybody else will kill you later. <laughs> Teach me. Look at verse 11. Teach me thy, by thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. We need to learn to pray because we need him to preserve us because of who we are because the world around us and because the devil that wants to stop us. We need to learn to pray because we need his mercy because we are sinful. But we need to learn to pray because we really need him to teach us some stuff. Folks, you've got to learn. I don't care how old you are, how long you've been in church, how much you know. 
there's more than head knowledge to life. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't get confident and cocky in your marriage because you've been married 10 years and you got a good marriage. Or 20 years and you got a good marriage. You don't know where you're going to be 10 years from now. You don't know what kind of pressures the world, the flesh, the devil can bring on you. You're crossing waters every day of your life you've never crossed before. Every step of the way. You don't treat an infant the way you treat a teenager. And you don't treat a young married son or daughter the way you taught, treated them when they were teenagers. You better be learning. You better learn how to operate. Because a lot of our problems come because we're knuckleheads and we think we know more than we know. It's not about my way. Teach me thy way, O oh Lord. I need to know the way God's going and how to walk with God and I will walk in thy truth. It's his way. Oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. I need to learn to pray because I want God to teach me. I want to learn, man. Look at verse 1. We're done. Bow down thine ear, O Lord. Hear me, for I am poor and needy. You know, one of the keys to praying is recognizing your weakness. Watch this act. I'm going to illustrate two things for you. I'm going to illustrate, I get, I get made fun of all the time by a couple of my friends especially, and they're literally 100 pounds more than me. They see me and they start going like this. <laughs> Listen, from the time I was this big, I watched my grandpa Camerata, the boxer, he walked like this all the time. And then he, because he'd get dizzy spells from being punched in the head so much. And he'd stutter and stuff. It's the coolest thing you've ever seen in your life. His nose was like that, even though he was Italian, just got the thing broke so many times. There's little me walking behind Grandpa that big around, you know what I'm saying? That, that's, that's the walk of the flesh. Confident, your head's up, you're all that, you got it. Watch this about prayer. In front of God and country, you know what I'm literally saying? You have no problem standing in public and saying a prayer, right? In public, in public, in public, get on your knees at a street corner before you preach and all kneel down. Everybody goes. It's like grabbing a Bible and holding it like this and walking through Panera, you know. You know what it is? It's humiliating. You're saying, God, I need you. And he said, a broken and a contrite heart, thou wilt not despise. You know what a strong man is to God? It's a man who can get down like this, or woman, and say, preserve me, be merciful to me, teach me, because I don't got it, you do, and I want more. Of you. Those are your reasons to pray. Let's stand to our feet this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. The altar's open if you want to.